Hello, I'm Rick Lancaster. Thank you for tuning in. Grab your Bible as we study through God's Word together. It's my hope that as we go through these messages that we will all grow in our understanding of God's Word. As we grow in our understanding, we'll also be better equipped to glorify God, bless others, and grow faith ours and others. If you have any questions about anything in this teaching, send me a message. I would love to connect with you. With that said, let's get into the Word and see what the Spirit would say to us today. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. It's kind of nice to have the rain. One of the benefits of the rain, I don't know if you notice this or not, but there's no airplanes flying. So it's been very quiet. That's nice. Unfortunately, the downside to the rain are the leaks in the roof. So uh, just just tolerate it. Try not to be distracted. And uh, remember that we're here to seek the Lord. We're here to hear from Him. And um, we're to block out all those distractions. And God willing, we'll be able to do that. So today, we're going to talk about promises. I'm guessing most of you have your trees up, your Christmas trees up, and there's packages, and not at our house, but that's all right. We're not talking about us. Um, <laughs> it, the, you know, having our anniversary at the beginning of December throws everything off because we always go away and we just never get around to it, but we'll, we'll get it eventually, January maybe. Uh, but you know, there's trees, you know, the tree and the Christmas presents around the bottom of it, and, and uh, the, the, the neat thing about gifts and those presents is that every one of those packages, those boxes, those gifts is a promise. It's a promise of something good, right? I mean, the, part of the, the joy that we have when we, when we see all those things down there and, and we know some of them are for us and there's just something, there's a joy about that because there's an expectation of something good, right? You know, hopefully nobody's going to get tube socks or, you know, whatever, you know, laundry soap or whatever they might get. I don't know what, you know, Mike's thinking about probably laundry soap for, for Crystal. <clears throat> hopefully not. A vacuum. A vacuum. Nice. <laughs> Woo, okay. Um, today we're going to talk about some promises that, are, that, are, that can be de- can't be defined using the word good. That's, that word's not good enough to talk about these promises. So before we do that, we're going to pray and ask for God's presence here today. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, for, for all of the good that you have promised us. And Lord, that is, that is part of the adventure of the Christian faith, is discovering all of the good that you have intended to give your people, to do for your people and that, Lord, as we grow in our faith, we get to experience more and more of that good. And as we're into this time of, of celebrating the greatest good that ever came to this earth with the birth of Jesus Christ, we pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds to hear what you would say to your church today. We praise you. We love you. We ask, Lord God, that you would help us to block out all of the distractions that might try to distract us away from what you want to say to us today and that we would hear clearly what it is that you want us to know about this text we look at today. We praise you and love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in uh, 2 Peter, and we know Peter was not known for 
always saying the right thing, right? You know, you know, he, he, you know, he, only, he only took his foot out of his mouth to put the other one in, you know, you know that sort of a thing. So he was always kind of, you know, speaking weird things. But there's a couple of times Peter said some things that were radical when he declared the deity and the, and the, and the ministry of Jesus Christ as the Christ, the Son of the living God, only to be rebuked immediately afterwards for saying something dumb. But here in this text, he says something that is truly radical, something that's so important to us to understand that it can be a source of great joy and peace. So let's pick it up in the beginning of 2 Peter. We'll look at the introduction, and then we'll get down ultimately to verses 3 and 4 where I want to get to. But starting in verse 1, it says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. So so Peter first identifies himself using two names, Simon and Peter. Simon is the name he was born with. Peter was the name that Jesus gave him. A kind of, this is who I was, this is who I am kind of an introduction. I like that about him. And he says also that he is a bondservant. A bondservant, that's an important one because a bondservant was, was someone who chose to be a servant, chose to serve others. And somebody as, as independent and free-willed as Peter, choosing to serve means something. And he says that's who he was. And he was also an apostle appointed by Jesus. So he, he volunteered to be a servant, but Jesus chose him to be an apostle. Then it tells us who the letter is addressed to, those who have obtained like precious faith. So basically saying, this letter is written to those who have that same precious faith that we do. That would refer to whom? Us, all of us. It's to all believers, well, me and Kevin at least, because he's the only one that responded. And he says, and he says, that he speaks of the source, the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's, it's the, the, the righteousness that we have is not something that we aspire to. It's not something that we work at. It's not something we do. It's something that we are given, that, that, is, that is overlaid upon our lives. In Titus 3.5, it says this, not by works of righteousness, I mean, you, you know, doing those, those works that are right, which, should you do those? Say, yes, we should do works that are right, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So when we receive Jesus Christ, we are, we are covered by the righteousness of Christ. We even sang that song. It says, my defense, my righteousness. Not speaking of my righteousness, but Jesus is my righteousness. And because I have faith in him. But I also want you to notice there's something, something radical it says there at the end of verse one. He says, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The, the Greek grammar there, I'm not going to bore you with a lot of Greek grammar, but the Greek grammar there puts both God and Savior to Jesus Christ. That, both, that Jesus Christ is both God and Savior. We already knew that, right? Say yes, we already knew that, but here it is in print, very clearly, that's what it's saying. Jesus is God. Verse 3. As his divine power has given to us 
all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. God's divine power through Christ, the power that created and sustains the entire universe has given to us all things. Notice the word given is in what tense? Past tense. Given to us, we already have all things that we need for life and God. So we're not waiting for these things. They're ours today. You know, the, the, those things that pertain to life and godliness, those things that we need to go through life and to live this life in a way that is, that is right in God's sight. We don't, we don't need anything else. We have everything that we need the moment we receive Jesus Christ. We just have to learn how to use what we have. I've got a garage full of tools. There are, there are more than one that I have no idea how to use them. I've got it, but if I actually had to use it, I'd have to call Kevin. Say, Kevin, I've got this thing. How do I use this thing? How do I get this thing done? I would get it done. He's given you everything you need to live well. Everything you need to live a life that is good and right. Everything you need to live a life that glorifies God and blesses others. Paul said something similar in Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In us dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. And, and the immensity of that statement is, is enormous. The immensity is enormous. It's huge. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ, and if we are in Christ, then all of the fullness of the Godhead is available to us. And all the power that's associated with that our problem is not that we are lacking something from God. Our problem is that we don't know how to access what he's already given us. We don't know how to tap into the, the realities of the power and the, and, the, and the truths of his word. We don't know how to unlock them in a way that allows us to live this life that many of us are longing for and, and striving after. Many people in the world, not so many here, because you're all awesome and amazing, because you came on a rainy day, so you have to be pretty awesome and amazing. And, and so, and so you know, but you know, we, many need to learn how to unlock those things. And Peter tells us that we, we access everything that God has already given us through the knowledge of him. As we get to know God better, as we get to know Christ better, as we get to know the Holy Spirit better, it unlocks these, these truths that allow us to live this life that is good and glorious and amazing. And that word knowledge there is an important one, another Greek word. It's epigenosis, and it means a precise and correct knowledge. And that's why false teaching and false doctrine is so, so damaging, so dangerous to us. Just as a quick aside, I got a letter last weekend, and I get these periodically, people trying to tell me some weird doctrine or theology, and, and it was just another one of those letters I got. I looked at it and said, Ugh. And they're, you know, they're trying to tell me that universalism is, is the truth. 
that, in, in a case you don't know what that means, all people go to heaven. Matter of fact, I think that was his website, allpeoplegotoheaven.org or something like that. And, and universalism is an ancient heresy, ancient. It goes all the way back to the very beginning. People are trying to say, everybody goes to heaven. Doesn't matter how you live, doesn't matter what's going on, everybody goes to heaven. Eh, wrong, false. And I, you know, I, I, and I did what I almost always do with those letters. I, okay, I see what this is, right into the circular file system. And, uh, and then I thought about it for a little while. I said, you know what? I don't think I'm going to let that one go. I pulled it back out. I wrote him a letter. And I said, if you have the boldness to send me this letter and telling me that universalism has been taught since the beginning of the church, I'm going to tell you what it is. It is heresy, and you are a heretic if you're trying to convince me that it's true. And, and, and Randy and I are talking about this. This is what we have to do. We have to stand up and tell people, especially people who are tr- writing a letter to a church and telling them, t- trying to tell them, trying to convince them of heresy, uh, there's a special place in hell for people like that. And he needs to repent and get right with God. And we need to be bold about saying that kind of stuff. So just know, if I end up in prison, you know, who knows what. Anyways, I'm going to speak the truth and, you know, let, I'm going to let God defend me. He's better at it than, than Jacoby and Meyer. So. <clears throat> Stay away, gotta watch out. We gotta watch out for false teaching and false doctrine. That's why we, we are going to keep teaching through the word. We're gonna keep ex- exhorting you to read your Bible, to know what your Bible says over and over and over again because the only way to live a life that's right before God is to do it God's way. And the only way you know how to do it God's way is you know what God said about it. And so, and you have to keep that going. As Christians, we are exceedingly wealthy spiritually and we have much to lose if we wander from a true knowledge of god nothing to gain there is nothing to gain by looking at the the strange and weird things that are going on i think randy is going to talk about one of those in the in the uh, in the future today meeting he's talking about just some weird stuff that people in churches are doing and it's dangerous. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the main thing. And we've got, we've got to keep our mind and our heart on that. Our greatest prayer, that one of the things that we as believers ought to pray for more than anything else, not that we get a new vacuum for Christmas, not anything like that, but that we know Jesus better and better every day. The better we know Jesus, all the rest of the stuff, it just starts to line up and fall into place. Not only does knowledge of God and Christ unlock everything we need for life and godliness, Peter goes on to say it unlocks something else. In 2 Peter 1.4, says this, by which... And that is the, you know, his divine power that God has, has, has used in us and through us, by which we have been given, notice again, past tense, to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. It's estimated that there are over 30,000 promises in the Bible. 
30,000. No, I haven't tried to find them all. I just opened the book, and every page has got at least one on it, probably. John Bunyan, the uh, writer of Pilgrim's Progress, said this, the pathway of life is strewn so thickly with the promises of God that it is impossible to take one step without treading upon one of them. The reality of, of God's word and the promises that we find in here, that literally there is nothing in your life that there is not a promise in God's word that applies to it, not one thing. And if we can, if we can understand that, then the process that we go through, when we're going through things in life, we're trying to think, figure out what's going on in life, and we need to know a promise. We may not be able to find it, but we gotta believe that it's there. That's the first step. God's made a promise about this, and I just need to trust him. I need to believe him, and I need to seek him, and God will reveal to me what I need to know. God has given you everything you need for this life, for godliness. Everything we need to be like Christ is our already ours. And with that truth is the promise that God has given us these exceedingly great and precious promises so that we can live the life he created us for. I've said it many times, I love the fact that they are, these are not just promises. They're not just precious promises. They're not just great and precious promises. They are exceedingly great and precious promises. I, I, there's a part of me that thinks that Peter was probably sitting there writing this out and probably had to restrain himself from adding more adjectives there, like amazing and wonderful and, and, and radical. I know he was thinking about radical. He just somehow it got, it got left out. How do we unlock the promises of God? How do, we, how do we apply the promises of God to our life? How do we, how do we take the 30,000 promises in God's word and make them real in our lives? It starts with an, a, a, a thorough, intimate, precise knowledge of Christ. The better we know Christ, the easier it is to find the promises, to understand the promises, to draw upon the promises of God. And we allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that he wants to do in us. In 2 Corinthians 12, 2 Corinthians 12 19, it says this. This is one of those promises, many promises. I could have picked them. I just grabbed one. And he said to me, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. Here's the promise. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. If, if, I will rest in Christ. The power of Christ will rest upon me. Well, what is the power of Christ? What did it do? Well, the power of Christ created the universe. The power of Christ sustains the universe. The power of Christ raised Christ from the dead. The power of Christ raised other people from the dead. The power of Christ healed the lame and, and gave sight to the blind. It fed the multitudes. The power of Christ did amazing things. And, and to unlock the power of verses like this, I, I need to grow in my understanding of what all those things mean. As I understand 
the, the significance of Jesus healing the blind. And then I look around my life, and, and I look around and I see maybe not too many physically blind people, but I see spiritually blind people all around me, wandering through life. Can the power that healed physical eyes heal the spiritually blind also? Yes, it can. Could God work through me to open the eyes of the blind? Yeah. Could he work through any of you? Yes. What do you, what do you have to do for that to happen? You have to believe. You have to believe and you have to see. You have to look out there and see there are spiritually blind. And you'll look at them and know, Holy Spirit is speaking to me and the Holy Spirit is being, saying that person needs to see. What am I going to do about it? And believing, yep, God can heal that one. God can do it. As I understand, more and more intimately that the power of God doesn't need power in me. Power of God operates, as we saw in this, in infirmities, in weaknesses, in lack. He takes the humble things of this world to bring down the wise and the strong. I can look at myself and say, I, I, I can't do that. Well, you're absolutely right, you can't. But the power of God can. The better I know Jesus, the more powerful verses like this become. As we look at these verses, we understand, what, is this, what does this mean? I mean, first, I mean, do you want the power of Christ to rest upon you? Say, yes, <laughs> yes, I do. I mean, that's the, that's the power that will change the world. The better I understand, the better I know Christ through his word, the more this power is available to be used in the world around me and in my own life. It releases that power into my life. It re releases that power through my life. It sustains and carries me through whatever life brings, whether it's good or bad. His power is all I need. There's a promise right in the middle of verse four. It says, through these, the exceedingly great and precious promises, through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. That's amazing. I was gonna say radical again, but decided against it. <laughs> a couple of you got it. Now, Peter's not saying that we will be divine like the Mormons teach. That's not what Peter is saying. He said, we'll be partakers. We'll, we, will, we will taste of, we will, that we will experience the divine nature. When? In this life. There's elements of the divine nature that God wants to express to us and, and have us experience in this life. And as we grow in our knowledge of God and we see his promises and we walk in his promises by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit, then we start to experience these things. And if, and if you've ever experienced the power of God, it, it, is, it is something you, you, you wake up the next day and say, I want some more of that. 
I want to experience that again. When you, when you see the Spirit of God move and, and change someone's heart or, or change their attitude or change the way they think or, or, or heal them or, or whatever God might do, or even in you. When, you, when you trust him and he carries you through something difficult, and you say, wow, I don't know how I did that. Well, it's because you didn't do it. God did it. As we walk in those promises, exceedingly great and precious promises, and we, and we see them and we understand them and we walk in them, we, it, it kind of opens us up to other promises and other things. And we start to experience more and more of God. We start to experience God's love, his grace, his mercy, his power. We start to experience more and more of those, those characteristics and, and the very nature of God. No one else can say this. No one else, no other people on earth can say they, they have experienced what it is, what it is like, what, it got, what God is like, the very nature of God. No one can say that except God's people. And all this happens through the operation of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For your body at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God has put the Holy Spirit in us, gave us the Holy Spirit, a great and precious gift, an exceedingly great and precious promise and gift that he put in us so that we could experience God. You can't experience God without the Spirit of God. And so we experience that, and, and as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, we recognize he's in us, and if we let him, he'll take us to glorious places to do amazing and powerful things. And as we do that, we experience more and more and more of the divine nature of God. Forty-one years ago, Monday, Kelly and I stood in front of a minister and made promises to each other. And those promises were meant to form the basis of how we lived our life together. And as much as I wish it wasn't true, I've not kept those promises perfectly. In fact, I'm not even sure I can say I've done it well. I've not always honored her the way that I should. I have not cherished her as much as I should have. And I've not always been patient or kind or gentle. And I know that with absolute certainty that I have not always loved her sacrificially. And because she is such a gracious woman, I'm sure she would say that she never expected me to be perfect. But I'm in my heart, I know that I should have been better. And God willing, I will try to do that. God's word contains thousands of promises for God's people. Unlike me, God is always faithful to keep his promises. Always. Hebrews 10, 23, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful that's an absolute reality with god god is faithful he can be nothing else his promises do not fade they do not change 
and they never, ever end. 41 years ago, Kelly and I exchanged rings, symbols of the promises that we made to each other. We can look at those rings every day, and we see, and we can remember those promises, remind ourselves of those promises. Well, God gave us something far better than rings, and it is this book, and it is the Spirit of God. They remind us of his promise. They reveal to us his promises. And as I open up God's word, the whole, and I do it by faith, because it has to be done by faith. If I open up God's word in faith, by faith, the Holy Spirit opens up my mind and heart to understand God, to know God better, to see his promises, to understand his promises, to believe his promises. And as I grow in my faith, I start to see more and more of who God is. I start to understand better and better what he has done. I start to see see where those promises are, those promises for the future, the promises for today. As I grow in my faith, I experience more and more of God in my life and throughout all facets of my life. Everywhere I look, I can see God as my faith grows. And as I, as I continue to grow in faith, I'm better able to connect the circumstances of my life to the promises of God in his word. Because if, 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 I can, if, there, if there are promises in God's word that touch on every single facet of life, then no matter what comes into my life, I should be able to find a promise in God's word. I should be able to look and find it. I may not always find it when I'm looking for it, but it's there. And as my faith grows through his word, through the Holy Spirit working in me, the more I trust God to keep his promises. And the more I trust God to keep his promises, the more peace and joy and power I have in my life. Now, those realities don't apply just to me. They apply to all God's people all the time. There is no one, no one of God's people that don't have access to all the same promises that I do. There's no special pastoral, you know, chapter or book that gives me extra promises. We all have the same promises. We all have the same God. We all have the same spirit. We all have the same word. We all have the same access to those promises. And he is always faithful to keep all of his promises to all of his people. As Peter tells us, God's promises are exceedingly great and precious. Regardless of where this message finds you today, and we're going to finish here shortly and then and then have communion regardless where this message finds you today we need to lean back into and trust in god's promises whether life is going really well for you and everything is kind of lining up for you lean back into god's promises because there's promises for you in the good times and when it's not so good you do exactly the same thing 
you lean back into the promises and you trust in the promises of God to carry you through. And the key to unlocking all of that is, is faith. You must believe. None of God's promises will do you any good if you don't believe them. You can have all the promises memorized, but if you don't believe they're true for you, they don't do you any good. And when you, when you can find yourself in that place, okay, God, I see your promise. I don't understand it completely. I'm not sure how it's going to apply right here, but I believe it's true, and I believe it's true for me. That unleashes, unlocks the power of God and allows you to be a partaker of the divine nature. God's best is promised to God's people. Which of them? All of them. God's best is promised to all of God's people. All of God's promises apply to all of God's people. It's so important. It was so important to God that you have access to all of the promises of God that he did something that is absolutely mind-blowing. He sent his son to make a way for you to access all of his promises. We're about to celebrate the birth of Christ, the greatest gift that's ever been given to this world. And as we are in this season of remembering the gift of Jesus, well, let's remind ourselves that's not a once-a-year thing. That's an everyday thing. That gift is for every day, not just on December 25th. Jesus is the reason for the season, we say. And Jesus is the way to the exceedingly great and precious promises that God gave us. We should have a Merry Christmas, right? Have a Merry Christmas. Your God sent his son to, to be born and to, and to walk in flesh just like your flesh so that he could die to pay for your sin so that you could have a way to God, so that you could experience all of his blessings. We should rejoice in that. We should be merry. We should be filled with joy. Regardless of our circumstances, there is a way to experience all of that. And we should enjoy Christmas. And for all the usual reasons, have the gifts, have the gatherings, have all of that stuff, enjoy all of that stuff. But the real reason is that God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to be born in the world so that you could be partakers of the divine nature and then through the exceedingly great and precious promises that you could know him better. Let's have a Merry Christmas. Amen? Amen? Heavenly Father, we do come thanking you for this day, and we pray for your blessing upon this time as we prepare to go into a time of communion. We pray, Lord God, that you would, in fact, prepare our hearts. And as there, there may be some here that, that maybe have been struggling with that, that, that they, they need one of your promises. They need your promises to be true for them right this very moment. I pray, Lord God, that, that even now that you would do something in their hearts, to help them know that there is a promise in your word for them. And while they may not have found it yet, it's there. And they can trust in it. And they can lean back. And if they will trust you and seek you, then they will find you. And they will find that promise. 
And so I pray for a touch upon their hearts, and I pray if there's anyone either watching online or here in person that does not have an intimate relationship with you, that maybe they're, maybe they're far from you, maybe, maybe, they, maybe they don't know you at all, that, Lord, that you would do something in their hearts right this very moment as we prepare to do something that in our hearts and minds is holy in the expression or in the partaking of communion that we would not do this in an unworthy manner, that we would do it in a way that glorifies you and, and, then, and then allows us to, to walk so freely with you that we can experience your divine nature through the exceedingly great and precious promises. And the greatest of the gifts that you've given to us is that of Christ. And we praise you and thank you for him. And so, Lord, we thank you, we praise you, and we lift this day up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. It's one of my core beliefs that the Bible or Word of God has the power to transform our lives. It's my hope that these messages will help you to do just that and to glorify God and bless others and grow faith. If there's anything that we can do to help you with that, don't hesitate to connect with me. You'll find ways to do that in the show notes. In the show notes, you'll also find links to my sermon notes and other resources to help you in your study of God's Word. And sometimes we do need help to grow in our faith. If there's anything that I can do, don't hesitate to connect with me. I love talking to God's people about God and his word. So send me your questions and I'll do my best to answer them. This message was shared at Calvary Chapel, French Valley in Murrieta, California. If you'd like more information about the church, go to calvaryfv.com. The link is in the show notes. Until next time. Stay in the word and have a radical week with Jesus. Mm-hmm.